I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You know, you know, it's kind of an odd time right now. No, I didn't know that. I haven't been paying attention. And, you know, tensions are high. A lot's going on. I've expected a lot of things as part of what's happening. What I didn't expect was being caught in a fucking tornado with my kids this morning. Oh, I saw a tornado warning. For yeah. real? Yeah, <laughs> no in it. In it. Like, in it. <laughs> I wasn't even in a fucking house, man. Oh my goodness! You got I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Um, every did you every see? Time, it? Was it a real tornado? I was literally in it. No shit! Oh my god! Clutching my children. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. So that happened. Was that the same time that I was screaming at the top of my lungs and cursing at my eight year old? Because <laughs> I, I felt know. like I was in a tornado this morning. I mean, yo, for real, like, dude, that's incredibly hairy. I've never, ever. dude, it was scary. So, so you know, I'm on the beach with my kids in my. I might give it up. I'm in my undisclosed beach location, and you know, I see some black clouds coming. It. My kids are late. We're out there for an hour. Sun, games. They're into waves. No problems. See, like a dark. You know, cloud set coming in. People start, you know, getting their umbrellas together and, you know, headed inside. But, you know, I got two kids. It takes a while to pack it down, start making her way up the beach. You know, one of them's little. And, you know, we start getting off the beach and, you know, a couple raindrops come down and then literally walk to the end of like the sand runway to the street. And before I know it, No. Just like overtook us. I hear people screaming. Homeboy who's fix- who's been fixing the deck for the last three months is stuck up on a fucking ladder. Holy and shit. both me and my son's hats blow off. They're gone. You know, I'm about to chase it. I'm like, fuck that. I'm holding my daughter already. Then I'm like, it's getting like really nasty. So I just grab my son and I'm like holding him in my chest. Yeah. Just clutching them both, basically, trying to deflect from, like, the wind and yeah. whatever's coming. And uh, and then I'm looking around, and I'm like, I got fucking nowhere to go, and, like, shit just might hit us. So yeah. I got to I gotta get out of here. 
And I just pick both of them up, you know, with the umbrella and the bags. And I just start trumbling, you know, into the house. We got to get inside. We got to get inside. You know, they're spooked. Yeah, yeah. Real spooked. Oh, yeah. Finally get in. Of course, we're in the house. Every window in the house is open, you know, like a beautiful, normal day. Oh, my fuck. For fuck's sake. <laughs> so my daughter was real spooked at first. And then, you know, calm down when I put something on. My, my son just would not stop pining about losing his beach hat. Uh, so so he's out right now getting another beach hat. <laughs> I lost my very special Brooklyn Nets hat that uh, I bought, uh, that my wife had my son's name embroidered for me at the Governor's Ball oh, show. Oh, dude. Yeah, like this very special hat that I meant to like give to him. That I couldn't tell you where the fuck it is, though, now. Oh, dude. But we're inside. We're safe. No one was hurt. Literally a fucking... Uh, roof of a church got blown off. So, really? like, yeah, yeah, it was like no joke. So, you know, give a fuck about a hat right now, but still. Woo. Dude, it's just like when it rains. It, it's just, oh. But in a way, in a way, it's like, it's always that constant thing. It's the same thing as like coronavirus. Is like, it's like the earth is always here to tell us, like, we are not the boss, yeah. you know? We yeah. always forget. We get in these human scuffles, which are, you know, needed and, you know, whatever. But, and then she, Mother Gaia, just always comes and makes... <laughs> like, don't think too much of yourself, kid. Just a statement. <laughs> she never, she's like, listen, listen, hun. You're very cute. Your family's cute. I've been here a long time. You guys are going to be gone soon. You know, it ain't about you, dog. It ain't about you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good lesson. Very good lesson. I think so. Mother Gaia is all over this. Oh, God, dude, that's really incredible, Benny. Yeah, that was interesting. I know? um, you know, had another. You know, it's like you know, you're old, so <laughs> so you know how sometimes you're just like, how can I even know anymore? You know what I mean? Like I'm full. I'm done building character. I got nothing left. Like like that's it. Like I'm, I've etched too many little fucking carvings in the belt, and I got no moss. Like. And then another one, I'm just like, oh, all right. Well, now I've done that, too. I've clutched my children in the middle of a tornado, apparently. Cool. Uh, that's so, that's scary, dude. At least I got them big Papa Bear hands, you know? Yeah. You know Which that, um, that the, the tornado, there was a big tornado. I don't know if you remember. It was like maybe eight years ago in Massachusetts that went right. It went within like a half mile of my parents' house. And, um, wow. It devastated the swath that it created. It basically wiped out like a third of my hometown from where I grew up. Yeah, that shit's crazy. I remember it changed the landscape. Like when I go to even to this day, eight years later, when I go to visit my parents, it's like part of it. I don't recognize. Actually, I guess it was more. Maybe it was nine years ago. I don't know. It was like a huge tornado that passed through central Massachusetts. All right, devastating. I remember for years, Gaslight had a hard time getting shows in. Uh, in St. Louis, right? You know, there was the creepy crawl, and that was still a little like too big for us almost. Right. Uh, and we kept getting these offers up in Joplin, Missouri, basically from this one crew of kids who just liked Gaslight and had access to a weird venue up there. Right. So we're just like, all right, fuck it, we'll start going up there. So we started creating this little scene in Joplin, Missouri, you know, where we'd stay with this guy RJ and his father, and we went there many times. And uh, yeah, like. Maybe a year or two after the last time we were there, that town got flattened. Um, and people he knew lost houses, and it was devastating, man. Yeah. You see, I mean, tornadoes are, like, 
Yeah, Jesus, they, they the worst be, kind of yeah. natural disaster. It's horrifying, yeah. truly horrifying. There's nothing you could do about that. Well, speaking of truly horrifying, <laughs> how's life, Brad? Uh, For dude, fuck's sake. I, just, I oh don't know goodness. how to react to things. I'm going up and down, you know? I want to... Yeah. Uh, so we delayed the release a day. Because our hearts right? were heavy. <laughs> I mean, for a lot of reasons, it's confusing, you know, like, and even the concept of offering a distraction to people feels strange to me right now because, you know, people hitting the streets and the people in trouble aren't offered a distraction, you know, they right. just got to stay in it all the time. And um, so it's confusing. I don't know exactly how to handle this, what's appropriate. So you just got to feel it out and make your own way. But, I mean, I think at the very least, we should recognize the fact that you and I are both on the same page to completely eradicate the things that have been happening over and over and over again. Absolutely. 100%. The the thing, you know, it, it always pops into my head is like, my experience with all this wasn't personal, but it started way before kind of the media picked up on it and where it started becoming a major thing. So I remember going to a show in New Brunswick in the early mid nineties, like maybe 96, something like that. And just recently there had been a police shooting in town where apparently a prostitute had assaulted an officer. All she had did was, was bit him very lightly or something. I don't remember the details exactly. And she was killed. And I went to like a cafe show to see my friend Tyler Rand play, who wound up being in the band Midtown. Uh, I don't even remember what kind of show he was playing. And that was the first time I saw like what a menacing police force looked like. They were expecting uh, a protest. They were expecting something to happen in town. And I was parked and walked to this venue and saw a parking lot with like a row of like, 35 police cars like in a row and it just shook me like to the core yeah that's what's intended to do <laughs> i i'd never i'd never seen anything like that this just like it, it looked like a militarized thing it looked like they could do anything they wanted unimpeded and it scared the shit out of me i couldn't wait to get out of town that day then shortly after like two years later Two New Brunswick cops were arrested and then subsequently charged a couple years later for running a brothel in town. <laughs> and then literally the year later in New York City, Amadou Diallo was killed, which I'm sure you remember. Oh, and yeah. and that was like the beginning where I was just, I guess, at 18 or 19, even at that time, I was just like, OK, what the fuck is going on with this inequity? But the thing I misunderstood, right, that I want to talk about is like. I think because I didn't grow up like rich and I'm Jewish and I always had a shitty car and a <laughs> skater and a punk and I've been harassed by cops so many times and I knew situations like that. I almost thought I was in like the same experience, right? you know, yes. I did. And oh, even yeah, no, someone I'm... like me had that, that level of like privilege and a sense of that. I, I truly thought I understood something I did not. Right. You know, and then the, the one thing that's really been crazy to me is I'm thinking about uh, one of the early Gaslight tours. We were trying to make a drive from 
Birmingham, Alabama to Richmond, you know, quite a trip. And, you know, that trip going through the mountain cuts into like 20 miles of northeast Georgia. Right. Right. And we were still in our old shitty van, just the four of us, you know, low, like not looking great, probably. And we were pulled over for it was one of those like cops behind you, runs your plate, doesn't see anything, pulls to the driver's seat, see who's driving, pulls back and then pulls you over. One of those deals. Yeah. And, you know, got me out of the car almost immediately, brought me to the back. I wasn't even wearing shoes. I was barefoot and starts interrogating for almost an hour. And we didn't know what the fuck was going on. It turned out he was just waiting for another guy to show up so he could search us. Um, At that point, you know, I was like, they're playing good cop, bad cop. They're trying to ask all these questions. You know, it was kind of like, hey, we're from New Jersey. We're not going to fall for fucking that shit, okay? We're not admitting anything to you, douchebag, you know? Like, you're going to have to fucking look if you want. And, you know, and they kept us there. And I did. I even had a fear that they were going to plant something on us. Right. And it was like one of those really kind of scary police situations where they have all that control over you. And even then, I never thought I was in any kind of physical harm. Right. I never thought there was a physical threat to my body or my life through that entire experience. I thought they might plant weed on me. I thought they might lock us up. I thought they might keep us in Georgia. You know what I mean? Like, not great stuff. But there's a difference here. You know what I mean? And even someone who's, like, Jewish and a punk from New York City, as fucking liberal as it gets, there's still a fucking difference we have to recognize, like, and fully have to recognize. And... If if there's anything I can find maybe positive right now is that I think a lot more people are having that reflection. You know, there's one band that can take you out of it for at least a few songs. <laughs> and I may have to go listen to them uh, after this. And oh, yeah, we've got their singer here with us for today's episode. Yeah. So this was so awesome to have Milo on. I wish we were releasing it in a different context when I could have told all the stories about how much I love Milo prior <laughs> to doing this. But yeah, I didn't, you know, it's a fucking podcast. I got some things to get off my chest, you know? <laughs> I don't feel like going on Twitter for the next fucking 45 minutes. Um, yeah, it was awesome that Milo came on with us. The Descendants played a super pivotal role in in uh in my life but this intro is long let's get into the interview let's hear milo dude it's going on well how you doing man i'm okay just uh hunkered down hunkered down (laughs) yeah you're in uh you're in sunny southern california i imagine no no i live in delaware uh oh that's right Yeah, yeah yeah Yeah, I've been here since what ninety nine, actually. So it's I lived here longer than any I've lived anywhere else, really. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. When I was putting it together, and that, that's because of the Dupont connection down there. Yeah, my wife got a job at the University of Delaware back in ninety nine, and I just kind of uh, you know we were we were living in Wisconsin at the time, and I right figured, well, I guess I got to move to Delaware. <laughs> so I mean, those are some big jumps, like like you know, growing up 
full-on Southern California style and then winding up in Wisconsin and Delaware. Those are yeah. interesting steps. I mean, uh, do you still feel like a, a Californian in Delaware or are you a Delaware guy now? I think I'm a Wisconsin guy. Oh. <laughs> I'm a Wisconsin guy who wished it wasn't so cold there, but like, wouldn't that be great if I could live in Wisconsin? I really liked, uh, we were there for like uh, nine years and I really liked uh, the people there, the the town. I was in Madison. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's it was a great town, man. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, and when I moved out here, that 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 was a big, a bigger culture shock for me moving to here right. from Wisconsin than it was moving to Wisconsin from California. Just because uh, you know, I I just got used to the pace of life in Madison sure. and being able to ride my bike to school or walk to school or just do whatever. And out here we moved into this, you know, it's a very driving based culture out here. Yeah. Kind of similar to LA really. Sure. Um, so what, what was it like for you when, uh, when this quarantine started, is there a, uh, a flashbulb moment for you when, when this went from uh, something we were all looking at to something you needed to, take really seriously and make a plan for with your family? Uh, yeah, I think, I think like March, early March, uh, my daughter said one, one Friday or Thursday or Friday, she said, well, they're they're having us, they're having us leave school, school early. Mm -hmm. And, and she said, can we go to the gym? And I said, no, we can't go to the gym. Right. That's like COVID central there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like the first time where I was like, uh, yeah, let's not go, ever go to the gym again, you know, right. this kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, it's about and, the first yeah. thing I took out as well. <laughs> but I had, I had, uh, thoughts earlier on that it was going to, that it was just going to go badly right. here in the States because actually I, I got invited by, uh, do you, I don't know if you know the Dag Nasty guys that that do Field Day. Uh, oh right, like, okay, yeah, Doug, right. yeah. Doug and uh, and uh, um, yeah, whoever's in Field Day. But Doug Carrion had invited me to uh, to play with them in H two O, and this would have been in mid February. All oh, right, and I said that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah. He said, "What? What's the problem?" I said, "We're you know." We're, we are no longer ex- uh, exceptional. You know, people talk about the except exceptionalism in the yeah. U.S. And we are not that clearly at this right. point. And I had already kind of garnered from watching the news that, that this is just going to be botched yes. all along, you know, and, and, and sure enough. So that, that, to, that mid February time point, I, I just kind of really had a sinking feeling that, you know, it wasn't going to work out. And the main reason, I figured it wasn't going to work out because testing was not going to happen. Right. Uh, you know, that's been the main thing is like, you could tell that just, they weren't lifting a finger to make that happen in any kind of, uh, way in any kind of effective way. And sure enough, that's how it all went down, you know? Yeah. It was interesting. It's almost like one of the first times, right. American mm-hmm. exceptionalism is actually kind of biting us in the ass, you know, like, like yeah. how much well, better suited would we be if yeah. we were in like an autocratic, system right now where we're you know used to uh you know getting an order from supreme leader and then yeah. we all just do it and we're you know punished greatly if we don't and in america you know three people say one thing one person has to say the other and and it's yeah. it's uh it's like one of the first times i think it's really 
biting us in the ass in that. Well, maybe not one of the first times, but certainly biting us in the ass. Did yeah. you have uh, like any, uh, was it, you know, your background maybe in, in science and the things you were working on that potentially gave you a better understanding that we were going to be like ill-equipped for this? Well, I, I, I knew that, I knew that the testing, the testing was going to be the, the, the testing was going to be something that, needed to be done needed to be done but that had to be done not half-assed and had to had to be done from a from a kind of a uh, like a very carefully careful perspective so the main the main reason why they just got off on the wrong foot is is that the original test kits had a contaminant mm. uh in them and you know, uh, you know. So and how that, does that, that happen? Like, uh, like, what, what's the process that allows that to happen? Well, because it's based on uh, PCR, which is the uh, type of uh, amplification of DNA, and so it's very easy to just have a tiny bit of 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 other of other DNA in there that 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 can then be picked up by the amplification process. Okay. So uh, that's what ended up, I think, happening is that there was a PCR contaminant in their negative control. So these tests all have to have a, they, they have to have a negative control so that you, because if, if what happens if you, every single, single sample you test is positive, you go, what, that can't be the case. How can everything be positive? Mm. Well, it can be positive if there's, if there's contamination in there. I and see. There was a, and there was, so their, their negative control was going positive. And, and so therefore there was a contaminant and, you know, and then they dragged their feet waiting like, a month or so, or a month or more to to kind of correct the uh, the error, and right. it was just a you know it's just a complete cluster at that point. Now, do you think like it, it was more just um, general amateurism and sloppiness, or do you think this was much more uh, practical and this is kind of being slow and rolled out the way it is for for political and social reasons? I I, I have to believe that the mostly the latter because I think if you had if you had a a quick reporting back, they send out these test kits, and then there's going to be these quick reports back, like, "Hey, dudes, this isn't working." And then the CDC has got to say, "Okay, we're fixing this pronto. This is like an ASAP thing. We're fixing the kits." And that didn't happen. Right? That clearly did not happen. They dragged their feet, and you know, I guess it could be political why they dragged their feet, or maybe maybe that's where there was actual uh, incompetence. At that level, at the bureaucratic level, it doesn't right. matter which it was. They failed, you know. Yeah, at this point, yeah. yeah. So I did a little research last night on Arabidapsis. Oh, great! Which, which I read up. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I know it's creepy, but I used the internet to help me, and I found out that you were using Arabidapsis to identify genes important for crop traits. Yeah. So I called my friend Nate Morris. He's a guitar player in a band called Polar Bear Club. And a bunch of other great bands. And, I love Polar Bear, but they're not uh, around anymore. Not around anymore. But yeah. Nate is uh, is your kin. He is also a uh, a molecular scientist. And, oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and he's kind of my you know um, get out of jail free card if I ever have a question about this. So mm. I was like, you know, I'd love to to talk to you a little about it. So so the one thing I, I realized that I thought was cool was this plant Arabidapsis, right? It's a mustard plant. Yep. And it's been being used for study over, what, 150 years for genetic research? Yeah. Um, now, like, he was trying to explain it to me. What, what exactly is the purpose of everybody using the same plant to study, and why that one? 
Well, I, the reason why you would use a plant like Arabidopsis is that it has a smaller genome than than most than any pretty much any other crop plant. So, of course, we'd love to do genetics research directly on corn or directly on soybean. Right. But but those genome sizes are so big, uh, and the, just the, gen, the genetics is more complicated mm-hmm. because of that. Um, and so, with a small genome size, it's easier to pinpoint. Uh, gene, uh, the, the, the function of a particular gene in the genome. Uh, and, and it, plus if there's lots of tools available for working on, on that particular model plan. So for Rabidopsis, uh, you can transform it very easily. That means you can put uh, exogenous nucleic acids into it and then check those exogenous nucleic, a- nucleic acids for how they function. Mm-hmm. So there's that, those are the two main reasons is, is the e- ease of being able to, to transform it. And the small genome size. And then, of course, you know, people then want to know, well, you're not ever going to make a crop out of Arabidopsis. So how do you, how do you deal with that? And right. w- what you do is you bank on the fact that within the plant kingdom, there's a fair amount of similarity at the genetic level. Mm. Aside from, like I said, the genome sizes and everything, but, but on a gene per gene basis, you hope that there's enough, enough similarity that you can make that you can extrapolate from genes that you find in Arabidopsis to then a, some kind of a homologous gene that you'd find, say, in, 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 in corn or in soybean, that kind of thing. And you have to translate all your, all your findings into the, into the crop plant at that point. And that's what we, that's what we were doing. So my stuff was to work on the, on the so-called model plant, Arabidopsis, and then translate those findings into a crop plant like corn. Very cool. Yeah. Now, like what? In since you were so involved in that, I mean, I, I live in a house where you know I'd, I'd get I'd get beaten if I brought certain types of genetically modified foods like through the front door and gave them to my kids and stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, like you know, and I have this conversation with my wife often, where I know there might be negative things to these. But I also don't think the people behind the science ever were malicious about it. It seems like right. the intention was good. Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts on like uh, genetically modified foods and their safety and the public backlash from, you know, organic eaters and stuff like that? Well, I mean, I think we'd all even in the even in the field, we were always working towards more and more uh, less less invasive manipulations of of the genomes i mean the thing about it is uh the way that you know the way that we have uh you know c- uh corn and soybean uh, varieties now that that give higher yield right is that the, the breeders came through and the breeders bred for those for some of those traits uh well so how do you breed for traits you, you basically make a bunch of crosses between different plants and you also rely on natural mutation to happen, which, mm-hmm. you know, of course, natural mutation and nat- just natural variation happens all, all the time between different, uh, breed, between different strains of corn, different strains of soybean. So in fact, we're, we, you know, we basically use mute, mutants of a sort or genetically modified organisms of a sort to do breeding anyways, because those are genetically modified by right. nature. They're just not genetically modified by by humans. Sure. So it's really, you know, when you start talking about genetic modification, anytime you have a, anytime you have a, 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 a corn variety that looks different than another corn variety, it's genetically modified in, in, in a broader sense. So I, I kind of feel like with, with, with the, what we were trying to do is just trying to kind of help it happen faster so that, so that we didn't have to rely just on, on breeding to make it happen. 
But the other thing in all this that I always think about is, is I think about, uh, the, like a risk benefit, kind of a risk benefit right. analysis. Sure. And you, you know, anytime, anytime you want to, you know, uh, have a benefit and this is, this goes for medicine. Yeah. This goes for just all science or just all, all science where you have, where you're looking at human, human, the human good. Uh, you're, you're always going to be looking at a risk benefit and, and the, the deal with, uh, you know, like for example, pharmaceutical, that 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 we might get uh, approved by F, by the FDA is going to have some risk associated with it, but we always you know we always kind of say well if, if the benefit of that for to, to save someone's life uh, is 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 more than the than the risk. People are willing to assume risk all the time sure. for for that kind of a situation, and I would just submit that that the benefit of feeding the world is a huge is a huge benefit. You might even sure. say it dwarfs it dwarfs the benefit of of curing some obscure disease, you know, we need to feed the world. That's what we yes. really need to do. Sure. And there's, so that's, that's part of what we were dealing with is, is we want to, we want to make crops that are, that, that are, that are going to be uh, more hardy and that are going to help us feed the world in the long run. And what kind of risk are you willing to, uh, are you willing to, uh, you know, to kind of uh, submit yourself to for that? And, you know, when I think about the risk of, to date, there's been zero zero cases of people dying from a GMO. That's, that's just the fact of the matter. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, and you know, when it comes from the other side, you know, sort of the crunchy community, you know, there's the idea that the, you know, the FDA is just in the pocket of these companies, you know, certainly someone like DuPont, um, like what was your experience like with that? You know, did you still find the, the FDA and getting things like approved, uh, and researched by them to be a very, exhaustive process like well i never really dealt with that because uh okay uh, mainly because uh it's uh, it's just that's like a very that's like the end game that's like the last right, 10, right. 10 yards of the whole thing and we were so far removed from all that or just so far on the other on the other side of things on the on the discovery side i see uh, that i never really had to deal with it but it, it can be that can be a huge headache and and you know i think it's i think it's to be to be expected that it could be a headache because uh, the, if, if the FDA, if the FDA is really doing their job, then they really do have to make sure that that these things are safe. And and I, I, I would definitely never want to, you know, make an end run around them. For yeah, sure. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I sometimes hope they would be huge pains in the asses. You know, that's my yeah. my yeah. hope is that now yeah, they got to do the job. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think a lot of our uh, listeners are going to know who Milo is, but. Can you explain what you guys are talking about? What is your job now, Milo, as a molecular biologist, right? Well, no, because I got laid off three years ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, it was four years ago at this point. Well, explain to our listeners why Benny is talking to you about science, why you would be qualified. Because he knew that I geek out, even <laughs> though I don't do it anymore, you know? Hell yeah. <laughs> I was just excited to do it, man. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, this is, you know, this is just, you know, you read through your history and obviously, you know, from the get, from the beginning of Descendants, from really the beginning of when you seem to be interested in anything, you seem to have an equal and weighted interest in this to music. Um, yeah, yeah. And and one, one thing I was wondering is like, you know, going through, you know, looking at what you do and even talking to my friend Nate, I remember, you know, like the whole concept of scientific exploration is it's very democratic and it and it's uh it needs like community and it needs cooperation. And even, you know, he was explaining the Arabidopsis is useful because there's 
like a hundred years of research data that you can look back upon and, you know, as he said, stand on the shoulder of giants. And when I'm listening to that, I'm like, this is kind of punk rock. Like it's sort of like a cooperative community based system. Like, do you think that was part of your attraction to it? Well, definitely. I, I I feel like people who, uh, people who like to, who like to read about, about the forefront of, of research, you know, what's the cutting edge of research. And that would always get me excited. I mean, it gets a lot of scientists. They want to, they want to know what's current, what's happening in the now. And, and then once you get caught up in that, like these, the, the discoveries, the new discoveries that are happening, then you feel like, well, I want to participate. And you, well, of course there's, there's a bit of a barrier there. You got to go get a, <laughs> some kind of advanced degree, right. uh, yeah. at least to partic- participate, you know, most directly sure but it's it makes it similar to 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 music and punk in general is that you know that's how i got into punk as i i was a fan and then i got realized well maybe i could do this too i could uh i could uh you know not only not only uh listen to music and get my get my yayas out that way but i could actually make music and and so i I guess it's similar in that regard i mean it's it's, they they share that in in terms of a creative a creative link in terms of, you know, it's like uh, just basic, the passion. It's a similar kind of a passion, I think, between the two. And was there like, what do you, do you remember? Like really what drew you into this? Was it a family thing? Was, was there any kind of connection? Well, I was in high school and my biology teacher was saying, dude, you got to give us a, an oral report. <laughs> uh, everyone had to do an oral report. And I was, uh, Believe it or not, I was a fairly shy, uh, shy, uh, teenager. And I was like, no, I don't want to. I was really resistant. I kept putting her off and saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And she said, if you don't do it, you're going to fail. Okay. And, and so I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. I got to do it. And I just happened to chance upon an article on uh, recombinant DNA technology. And just for some reason, just like, wow, that's cool. Cause I saw all these possibilities, you know, now obviously mm-hmm. recombinant DNA, technology you it gets to be signed like a little sci-fi right because then you talk about oh we're going to create monsters and all this kind of stuff (laughs) but uh, but i but i got i got into the whole creativity of 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 that side of science because i i think previous to that point i just thought science was kind of like people making measurements and then you know i'm going to make these measurements and then that's my science paper or whatever right right. no but like science could be creating you could create stuff with science and I could see how that could, could be done with recombinant DNA technology. So really, that's how I got into uh, molecular biology is is via thinking about the types of things, the ty- types of possibilities that that could that you could get that you could do with uh with with recombinant DNA technology. And so that was in high school, and I kind of decided if I'm going to do science, I'll probably end up being like a what you what they affectionately call a gene jockey which is some <laughs> somebody which is somebody who does that type of work you know recombinant dna uh stuff um and it was funny because i at one point bill had said hey you need to have a publishing company for your you know for your music publishing and i wanted to call it recombinant music <laughs> because i thought well because i'm a nerd you know yeah like, sure That's so perfect. and then he goes he looked into it and he said dude Devo already has that. So <laughs> wow. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, oh that. <laughs> well, then, yes, then it's kind of like a badge of honor that I chose. Yeah. The same one. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. That's a good way to lose. Yeah. This is like a lesson, too, to all teachers, you know, who feel like taking a day off or a week off or something, you know, 
your teacher wasn't a pain who made no. you do that thing. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who I mean, I think I, I had to thank. I think I might have seen her a few years after. I said, "Thanks for forcing me to do that oral report because it, it sent me down this, you know, career path, which is kind of fun." Yeah, you would have just been a boring punk rocker without that. <laughs> yeah. You know? what the yeah. fuck? So, so you were speaking of high school. You grew up in what, Lomita, California. I grew up in. Uh, 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 Manhattan Beach, which is another okay. just another suburb in in that general area. The the bigger area is called the South Bay of L.A. Okay, uh, so like Lomita's South Bay, her, uh, Manhattan Beach is South Bay. So I grew up in Manhattan Beach, and Bill grew up in Redondo Beach, and Frank grew up in Hermosa Beach. So just nice. beach punks, bunch of beach punks. And did you guys uh, you you all you knew Bill in high school, correct? Yeah, yeah, we were same grade, same school, uh, and we were, I would say we were acquaintances, not really, uh, friends necessarily okay. until, until he sold me a copy of his, his first descent, the first descendant single. Oh, and wow. then I, and then I became, then I was just like his, the biggest punisher ever. I was like the first, <laughs> the first descendants punisher. And I would be like, Hey, I got to go see you guys practice. Where do you guys practice? Oh, we practice at the church. Okay, I'll see you at the church. You know this kind of thing. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So you were so that's how. So really, you were you were just a Descendants fanboy, kind of. That's how. Yeah. like you got yourself yeah, I mean, into I, the picture. I, I, I got bought because I bought the record. And it was just like this stuff's so cool. I'd started getting into at that point, uh, L.A. punk rock, and I was listening to like the Germs and sure. X and and Black Flag and stuff. And but then when I when I played uh, the first Descendants uh, single, that's Ride the Wild. To me, it was like uh, almost more Beatlesy girl, almost mm. more uh, kind of poppy sounding and surf, surfy sounding, Beach Boy sounding, and I thought, wow, that's like a different take on all of this, and uh, that just, it really struck me as unusual, and I really dug it, and so then I yeah, I started going to their practices at the at the church, and I met Black Flag, and I met uh, you know the la- the last, and I met Red Cross, and and. Uh, and we, and I, that they had a mic set up when the descendants were practicing, they had a mic set up, but no one, no one was stepping to the mic because they were just practicing instrumentally. Mm. And I said, well, that mic's got to be there for a reason. And I just <laughs> said, I said, well, how about if I just sing Ride the Wild just for, just for shits, just, just for fun. And they said, yeah, go for it, dude. And then I did it. And I don't think I was very good, but they kind of thought, well, you know, I guess we need a singer maybe. So. That's awesome. And what was Bill pushing at the time? Was he like pushing a demo around school, a record? Like, no, no, he put that he put that single out himself on Orca Productions. That was his little his little uh, label. Uh, but he wasn't. We they hadn't really recorded anything besides these two songs, uh, "Ride the Wild" and "Insectic World." And I think they were just they weren't stagnating, but they were definitely, uh, you know, they were definitely kind of maybe. I don't know, looking for a new style or, or right. just trying, or just trying to kind of have fun in the practice room. I mean, you got to, you have to remember we were still in high school and it was just so much fun to be, to be in the practice room, uh, playing songs. And every once in a while, everyone's like, Hey, I got a new song. Cool. Let's play it. And sure. we, you know, by the time we recorded Milo goes to college, we'd practiced solid for, you know, a year and a half or something. Um, or more like two years and it was there wasn't really a lot of demoing there, well, there was no demoing we just right. kind of uh we just kind of you know worked all these songs out in the practice room and we'd play them live but but didn't really think about recording them uh until until we did my Legos college well we did do the fat ep though in the midst of all that but yeah right right and what you know what was the scene like for you guys um 
you know, wh- where were the shows happening at the time? What were the bands you were playing with? What, what was like the local scene there at the time? Well, there, there was starting to emerge kind of a South Bay scene, actually, because okay. uh, you had the Hollywood scene. That would be bands like uh, X and the Germs played out in Hollywood or were from Hollywood. But then there, all of a sudden there were all these bands coming out of South Bay. We were talking like San Pedro and and uh, uh, Redondo and, and Hermosa. And those are the kind of bands that, uh, because we were they, we were practicing at the church, um, that kind of took us under their wing and would help us, you know, get shows. They they like like Black Flag would put on shows, and they would just have us open for them. And we did a lot of shows that way. Uh, awesome. Minutemen as well. I mean, they were they were huge men- mentors for us. Um, and so I'd say you know, many of the shows we did were with, with, with the same set of like seven or eight bands that were all South Bay bands. Um, just cause, you know, if you knew, if you knew the, the other guys in the, in the other bands, you, you could get on the bill, you know. And where easily. were the, where were the gigs happening? Were they in town in LA? They were all throughout LA. I mean, we, we, there were, there were a few clubs right there in South Bay. Uh, the Fleetwood was one. Um, but most of the clubs were in Hollywood. So we, we play out in Hollywood. Right. I mean, my first show was out of the Hong Kong Cafe, which is in, uh, outside of Hollywood. Yeah. So paint me a picture. Cause when you, when you tell me what's going on, I imagine you and Bill are basically two parts of the Dogtown movie because that's pretty much my frame of reference. <laughs> um, was it like that, or were you, <laughs> were you guys different than that? Like, what was the scene there? Was it was it about surfing, skating, and oh. and were you and Bill like, uh, you know, were you guys the punk band in school that everybody liked, or were you like outcast punks as a result? Like, like, well, we were. Uh, I can speak for you know Bill and I. We were not surfers by any stretch. Okay. Bill was more of a fisher, fisherman. Right, right. He was a, bo- uh, yeah, he had a he, boat, right? Yeah, he had a boat. He would go commercial fisher, fishing with Pat. So I'm sorry, with, with Pat and Frank. Pat right. was just a friend of his, but Frank, Frank, the guitar player, would also be fishing with him. And the, like he would come to school after having fished all night with like a, with like fish guts all over himself. And uh. so you can imagine we were not popular at the school. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and I, I, I was not popular but that was just because i was like i say kind of a shy kid um i had my crew of friends but i wasn't anywhere near like bmoc status or anything and we just kind of i just kind of laid low um so no i mean i think we weren't really you know we may have been one of the only punk bands at the school at the time but we weren't really uh i mean punk wasn't even cool then anyway so we weren't really uh you know getting winning any popularity contests yeah like when when you know, Milo Goes to College came out, what, 82? Yeah. And, uh, you know, at that point, you know, you sort of started the process of sort of jumping in and out of the descendants based on school and stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, your alternate interests. You know, I, I want, like, do you have the impression that, I, I guess what I'm asking is, was the entire scene different than when, in 1982, was the choice to take the descendants full time basically, like, a choice to not have a real life or something like that. Is that like one of the reasons you needed to keep your foot in the other side or, or do you think it was possible back then? No, I had no, no inkling that it was possible. Right. I mean, the thing, the thing about the science thing is I genuinely did want to pursue a career in science, but, but also, as you said, I mean, it's like, I couldn't even envision, uh, you know, doing music as a career, not, not the kind of music that I was doing. 
Right. Uh, and so, you know, and that, that didn't change, that didn't change till the nineties really, uh, where you could even go, Oh, maybe this is something you could make a living at, you know? Uh, so yeah, I, I think from that, from those early days, I treated it as a hobby. I enjoyed it more as a hobby and that's how it was continued to be until, well, until 2011 or, you know, or thereabouts right. when we got back together for this last longest incarnation where I, I, you know, I kind of thought, you know, this is something I could make a living at, you know, I actually didn't even start treating it as a career until I got laid off from DuPont. So we're right. talking like, we're talking like four years ago, I decided, <laughs> oh, I could be, I could make a career out of this. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So when you guys did everything sucks, right? That was like, th- so you were still thinking it was a hobby. Yeah, because I was I was working uh, as a postdoc. I was doing postdoctoral science. Uh, you have to ask your friend Nate about. Is it Nate? Yeah, Nate. Yeah, yeah. You have to ask him about postdocing. Uh, sure. But but uh, it's basically you're you're kind of in this limbo between you 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 got you finish graduate school, but there aren't enough jobs available, so you have to go into this limbo thing before you can get a real faculty job. Uh, so that's what postdocing is. I was postdocing in Wisconsin. And I was kind of uh, spinning my wheels and not getting anywhere. So I, uh, I, 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 I had written some songs and talked to Bill about it. And he said, yeah, let's put a record out. And then I decided since the rec- recording was so much fun, why don't we tour for a year? So that's how that kind of got shoveled. It got, that, 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 the, the, the band kind of got inserted into this, this period where I was in between, uh, uh, you know, my career moves in science, basically. Um, so yeah, even, even then, even then, even though I, we toured really hard in, in 96, we played yeah. hundreds of shows, but, but I was still kind of like, yeah, well, I'm going to finish this up and go back and finish my postdoc and, you know, going to go get a, uh, you know, faculty, faculty position somewhere. Uh, it all seemed kind of, uh, still like I was on track even at that point. It's really wild to hear. Cause from my, my perspective, when everything sucks came out, you know, everything I knew of the descendants prior to then was, was from myth. Uh, and then, you know, everything sucks came out and there's this great record and this tangible band in front of my face. Uh, and I saw you on that tour at the stone pony in Asbury park. And, um, you know, if you asked me at the time, I, you were the clash, you know what I mean? You were the sex pistols. You were like as big as that. And I don't think people, understand that prior to you know maybe even the you know green day offspring thing in the 90s that 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 avenue wasn't even really clear and there for people at the time i mean even some some kind of shift i think happened around then did did you see like uh the descendants growing by default just when punk rock had its kind of minute in the mainstream there i think we were helped by it i think we were helped by it uh People who checked out those other bands you mentioned are going to be, they were thinking, well, let's trace some of this back to there, you know, it has, there has to be something that existed before them. And we were, we were one of the bands that, that they could trace back to. You were one of the descendants of um, Green Day? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I had, I had to find. That was for Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> Big ups, Jonah. <laughs> Well, that's why they're called the offspring, right? Because they're the, uh, the offspring. Oh, this is perfect. This is perfect. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, no. So I think we owe them. We owe those bands a, a debt of sort because they really, you know, I, I, anyone who can 
who can make this the style of music that we all play, uh, you know, more more uh, uh, available, make it more uh, uh, something that everyone can get excited about. To you know, to create to create a buzz around it. That's that obviously helped us out to create that buzz, and they were the ones doing it. So I have to tip my hat to them for sure. Awesome. I have a fun little game I want to play. I assume you're familiar with the periodic table of elements. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I want to take four bands from the past and you tell me which element they represent. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So black flag first. Black flag. Uh, they're iron. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. All right. Especially, especially late black flag, later black flag. Yeah. Yeah. Total iron. Okay. We got the Ramones. Ramones. Uh, helium. <laughs> okay. We got the Minutemen. Oh. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, uh oh i'm what's the one that's radioactive uh, <laughs> i think you're asking the wrong too this is kind of your <laughs> world milo <laughs> yeah. Ura- they're uranium uranium oh good good all right and last uranium. one last one the bad brains Ooh, bad brains hydrogen oh <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, I love it. That's all I got. Vision. That's Vision, fun. Well, just I think that they're because they're so they're 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 primal. They they're the they they basically are the primal band. Uh, for and, me, for me, it's like when I first heard the the pay to come single. Uh, that became the blueprint for you know, what the Descendants were doing at that point. Is that because, right? Yeah. Because we wanted, we were all about like, let's drink as much coffee as we can, right, and play as fast as we can. And then, we, and then we hear the bad news, like, fuck, these guys beat us to it. They totally <laughs> beat us to it. So that's why they're hydrogen. Yeah, I love that. Um, speaking of coffee, so to honor you, I drank a lot of coffee to get ready for this interview. I figured cool. I might, you know, this, how I'm going to pay homage to you. It's always been a big part of things for you guys. Um, and last night I had to do a podcast at like nine o'clock. And since I'm basically an addict to coffee, you know, since I know I have to do something at a time, my my sole focus becomes to ensure that I have enough coffee to do that and do it well. Yeah. And I wonder as someone who's been a coffee drinker as long, like how much of that is an invention of just my coffee addiction? Uh, I mean, I think we're living in a, you know, in a time of, of, of coffee, coffee technology gone you know, gone, gone ape shit. It's true. I, I love it. I love it. I mean, I, I, uh, like the dystopian future of coffee right now. Well, you're right. I, I mean, I've watched it evolve from like when we, when we would go on tour in the eighties and we'd gotten, we, at this point, we, at that point we'd gotten sick of basically the bonus cup. I mean, the bonus cup, it only takes you so far until you're like ready to throw up. Mm. So we, we figured, uh, we can't do any more bonus cups. So now what? It, it's, is it, are we back? Are we relegated to seven 11 coffee? Yeah. I mean, and, and so then we are you know, that's that level of desperation causes you to seek out the, 
Italian restaurant in town, mm. whatever town, whatever town you're in, because that's the only place you can get an espresso in the mid eighties. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's Starbucks wasn't coming for another no, decade. Yeah. No. So, and then of course, when Starbucks comes around, that was an evolution. Number one, it's like, wait a minute. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have to find Luigi's, Luigi's restaurant to, to get myself a coffee. You know, I can just, like, I don't have to get an espresso. I can just, I can just go, go to, go to Starbucks. Uh, so that, that was step one that uh, in the whole thing. And then, and then to be able to, uh, to bring that technology into your home and have home, home units that are as good as anything that, that, uh, that, uh, Starbucks has was I think another, another level. And so I, uh, we, we used to have just a regular old espresso machines at home and I'd gotten used to that. And then I realized you could just, you could buy these ones where you just push a button and it grinds the beans <laughs> yeah. and it, you know, and so now we got one of those and it's, it was, it's been kind of life changing for me. Uh, I first got it in the uh, late two thousands and, uh, I turned bill onto it and said, Hey, you got to check this out. And then I bought him, I bought him a version of one of these, uh, you know, all, all fully automatic things. And he said that I ruined his life for a while there. Cause he, 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 his, his habit went from like, three cups to like 30 cups in a day or something. Yeah. Was, I heard a, I heard yeah. a story of him making like 10 espressos and just putting yeah. them in a thermos. Yeah. I have a hard time finding a cup of coffee now, you know, like if I'm driving through like Iowa and I'm trying to, you know, get that next step of the trip and, and I'm like, all right, you know, I guess I'm going to the sheets and right. getting some coffee. But yeah. back in the day in the eighties, I got to assume your options were, really Terrible. limited out there Very in the limited. middle of the road. So what, yeah. what are we talking about here at gas stations at the time? Like single pot, one red, one black, you know, decaf, calf, and that's it. It's decaf, calf and the calf. You have no idea how long the calf has been sitting there. <laughs> right. It, you know, yeah. it could have been sitting there for like eight hours and then you're just getting just sludge. Well, at that it, point. it definitely was. If you're there in the afternoon, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The blacker the gold, the sweeter the juice. Um, so what, like, I also heard that Bill sometimes pushes like five hour energies and stuff on you, even beyond the coffee. We had a period of doing that and I gave, Ooh. I had to give it up. Uh, that was pretty, pretty early on in this recent uh, uh, incarnation of ours. Oh, where, okay. You know, we started playing again in 2011 and we went down to Australia and he was, he was saying, Hey, here's some five hour energy that you're going to take on top of regular coffee because <laughs> right. you know it's like we i gotta have my regular coffee too and i had some heart palpitation experiences yeah, yeah. i don't want to repeat and uh, actually even more for even more frustrating for me than that was that like that you, you know you you don't sleep after that no you you know you're you're up for like 40 hours at that point <laughs> and that's not a way that's not a way that you can run a, a like a, a a tour. You can't tour right. and, and not sleep. Not if you're the singer. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. That, that's, that was just a disaster for me. It's like, I didn't realize at that point, like that, you know, how much, you know, vocal preservation relies on basically two things, uh, hydration and sleep. And that's right. it. Right. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. If you do those two things, you're about 80% there. And I just, I had some terrible experiences in Australia on that tour. Uh, just kind of, Dealing with the fact that I'd overindulged in this, uh, in these, in these, uh, caffeinated stimulants. <laughs> so you would just get hyped up for the show and then not be able to 
yeah. not be able to come down. At, and was Bill just passed out? Like it doesn't even hit him like that at all? I don't know how he how he <laughs> dealt with any of that because he was equally wired. Yeah. Uh, but I can say that those were pretty bitching shows, except that except <laughs> right. that I except that I paid the price. Yeah, coffee that. mug was nice and fast. Yeah. Um, so what's like the perfect routine then these days? In you know, like like perfect coffee routine throughout a day. Like, what's the great balance now? Well, if I'm not if I'm not planning on either singing at a show or singing for recording, all I do is I do two, two cups of coffee in the morning, and I'm I'm golden. I don't have to do any more coffee. There's no need to. Right. Uh, you know, I don't I don't necessarily experience any kind of lag in the afternoon. So that that's to me is is pretty cool because then it's, there's no issue with sleeping or anything. But yeah, if we're gonna go play a show, I've got a I've got a coffee up before the show. <laughs> uh, you know, if 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 Stefan, Carl, and Bill are coughing up and I don't, I'm just on a different page at that point. So I I'm yeah, we all coffee up. And yeah. you know, you you mentioned with with Bill, I don't go to his extreme of I'm gonna have ten espressos. But before a show, I'll probably have, you know, five coffees, you know, for sure. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, like that part of, um, you know, since this is really the last, you know, four or five years, the when you've been touring full time for the first time in your life, yeah. um, you know, since before that, you've taken so many breaks. Do, do you find a benefit from staying on the road and continuing to work on music that, you know, keeps your writing sharp, keeps your voice, uh, you know, ready to go? And it, is it easier to just be in the descendants without without the lapses? Yeah, I think this that's definitely the case. I'm not so sure about the writing part of it, but definitely okay. the but definitely the uh, the vocal the vocal shape because I mean to, it's always been a double edged sword, and this was especially true in the '90s uh, that we would go on tour for three months, and you'd think, oh, that's a brutal tour or whatever, but my voice by the end of it was like killer, you know, I just, I, right. it, gets, it gets so leathery and so, yep, yep. so full. And I, I have a hard time replicating that level of, uh, just, uh, conditioning or just, you know, vocal leather when we, when we do shows now, because we go out for like, let's just say a week, but then we're going to come home. So, it, but, but you know, we, I, we all have to come home to be with our families and, and, you know, keep from getting sick. So there's, there's reasons to, the reasons why we have to do it that way, but it is definitely is not as ideal for vocal conditioning because right. yeah, like I said, I mean, and the way those tours would work back in the nineties, we go out for like three months and the first week of the tour, my voice would just disappear. I would just, I'd just be, I'd be in the gutter. The right. voice would just be like this disastrous, like gravelly thing. But then you kind of pull out of that and you start to rebuild it a little bit. And then all of a sudden you've just got this really tough, tough vocal that you, that you maintain for the rest of the tour. Right. And I, I look back and I go, yeah, I was miserable at times because I always felt like, you know, I'm not, I'm not singing pretty. <laughs> right, <laughs> this, ain't, right. this ain't pretty singing, but it was still sound, you know, people go, no, you sounded cool, you know, cause you yeah, were like, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's funny because even, even trying to rep rep replicate, replicate that in the studio, in the studio, sometimes Bill has me sing uh, you know, for, for a few hours and I go, okay, we're done. He says, no, you're just getting started. Cause now your voice sounds really fucked up. <laughs> right. So let's, so let's hit, hit record now. You know, <laughs> he, he knows your voice pretty well. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, is this still like, you know, how much are you guys still encapsulating the, you know, the go for all mantra 
Is that still still feeling in the descendants? Or I mean, I, I heard you at some point, you know, uh, be quoted as as saying, "We got to go for all, but but we want to go for all and not die." Yeah. Um. So yeah. so what what's the balance at this age to still go for all? And I think the idea is to go for all when you're on stage, I see. and to and to not <laughs> and to really to 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 the not go for all when you're not on stage, and that means that you know. It may have been in the past that we'd be like, get off stage and maybe we're going to, you know, do some partying or something, but I don't want to party anymore. Right. I just want, I want to kind of preserve my health and my, and my vocals. Um, you know, I'll have a beer after the show or whatever, but sure. I'm not going to go crazy. And, you know, it's all about getting sleep now. And I mentioned we don't want to do three month tours anymore, not only because of our families, but because uh, we want each, we want each show to just be all out. And it's a lot easier to have each show just be balls to the wall if you're not playing, you know, 100 shows in a row or whatever it's going to end up being, you know. Sure, so. sure. Do you find any of like the, you know, the advice from when you were a young man? Um, like, do you find any of it incorrect? And would you like give a different set of advice or would you, uh, like chip back the go for all thing now? Or do you think it's still a totally functional tool for people the way it's presented? Well, I kind of feel like we always, we always kind of had the notion of go for all being a, a musically a thing to, to, to focus, focus on the music right? in terms of all. I mean, we probably didn't, we probably didn't uh, verbalize it so well at the start that you you know go for all but make that be make that be all in music and now i feel like that's still that's still a known a known or that's still a a worthy a worthy thing is to is to go for all in your music um but yeah maybe i would probably i would probably what i would probably do is is specify you know the music part of it and and say don't go for all in these other areas, you know, it's, <laughs> right, right. You know, if you're, if you're into drugs, don't go for yeah. all. It's like, <laughs> don't, don't do all the heroin. Yeah. 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 Or like even for coffee, don't go for all <laughs> right, in, right. In coffee. Plus five hour energy. Yeah. 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 So don't do that. Well, but I guess yeah, the I mean, band name, the band name enough wouldn't have been as successful, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, I guess in, in other regards though, I think about what I would tell my younger self, Right. And it has it doesn't have to do with all necessarily going for all, but it has more to do with like the notion of music as a career. I really kind of had it backwards a little bit in terms of like, well, you know, music, music's always going to be this like, um, it's always going to be this hobby thing, and or make sure you've got this backup career. You know, in my case, it was science or whatever. Right. And and I kind of had that a little backwards. At the start, now you we you talked about how it, you know, conditions were different then. Sure, but I but I wish at some point I would might have flipped the switch a little earlier and said I'm going for it. You know, I see. I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I took like I said, I, I really only a few years ago decided to make this career. I probably could have decided much earlier, and things would have been different. You know, what so, made you so you know like sensible at a young age in such a kind of nonsensical world? Like, how did you have that perspective at that time? I probably not really being, uh, I don't know, not being a, not really being a punk per se. I mean, I played punk rock, but I was such a nerd at punk. Right. And I think that that nerd angle probably made me think more, uh, it, it probably allowed me to not glorify so much that lifestyle of like, ooh, punk rock or just rock and roll. 
I wasn't, I, w- I never really have paid much attention or had much interest in, you know, glorifying it as, as a thing, like a, as a hero worship, as a, as, as a, uh, as a lifestyle. Right. And, and that made it easier for me just to kind of go, eh, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because it's fun, but it's not the be all end all for me. Yeah. And you didn't really like fully identify yourself as that. No. Yeah. 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 I I was wondering, like, you know, when you're jumping from the academic world to the corporate world to punk rock clubs and back to the lab, did, did you find that you had to like wear many hats in all those environments or do you feel like you were allowed to be exactly who you are in all of them? It, yeah, I, it, it was difficult at times for me in science because uh, you do, you know, let's just say you're trying to prepare a talk and you've got to, um, well, you got to be serious. You got to be, uh, you got to put on your science hat. You got to think analytically and, and your presentation is a lot different of a presentation than, for example, anything that I would do on stage, it wouldn't work over so well to stage dive at a, at a, at a scientific conference or anything like that. So, um, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, make I, I think, stand out. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> definitely make, make some waves, but no, I think people, cause there were times when people would, would, I would tell people, you know, I, I, I sometimes struggled to give a research talk because I get so nervous. Right. You know, it's because it's like, like you said, it's a different hat. Yeah. You yeah. Gotta, you gotta wear that different hat. And people would be like, well, you get in front of all these, yeah. you know, thousands of people. I go, no, it's, it's different because when I get in front of people, uh, to play punk rock, I, I, I literally, you know, you turn your brain off, you, or at least you turn off that analytical, analytical side. Yeah. And you're, you're more in the moment. You're more, you're more feeling as opposed to thinking. And that right. just, you know, you can't do that for, a scientific talk. So really there was sure. already, yeah, it's, there are two like apples and oranges. And I, and I really had to work on that for a while. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, um, you've got so, your gang on stage when you're, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, you've got backup. True. I mean, it's funny. I've backup. been surprised that we've had people sit down for these, for these podcasts who, you know, have played in front of a hundred thousand people and they're nervous. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I just went through the same thing and people were making fun of me. I, my brother got remarried last year and I, you know, I had to get up and do a speech yeah. and I'm like, I'm a fucking, I was a goddamn mess. I'm yeah. sweating. My <laughs> hand is shaking. Uh, you know, like my nieces are looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You serious? And they said the same thing. I'm like, listen, I'm not good at standing and pouring my heart out in front of a group of people. It's a lot easier to hit a bunch of fucking drums with your hair in front of your face, you know, right, like exactly. it's a totally yep. different experience. Um, so you have uh, two children, correct? Yeah. Uh, how, how old are they? I have a 18 year old son, uh, graduating high school and a 16 year old daughter. Cool. Um, yeah. and I know your wife's a professor as well. Is it, is yeah. it a very academic house and did your kids wind up, uh, being very into education, academia or, or music? Yeah, I think that they have, they've seen, you know, they've seen what, uh, we've both gone through and, uh, it's going to help them, you know, hopefully navigate their, uh, if they do choose academic careers, help them navigate those careers. My son wants to be, he's a, he's a computer geek and he wants to be, yeah, working computers. Um, my daughter's, you know, she's only 16, but she's already thinking, Oh, I want to be a physicist, you know? So, so okay. There you yeah. go. Oh, all yeah, right. So they're, they're both pretty serious minded kids. 
they they see what we do and they kind of go, well, I guess this is an avenue we should consider. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. If they saw some success in it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they're probably both headed for, you know, more academic or more academia. And is that important to you? Like, is that something that, you know, you wanted for them? Do you think it's a, a good path to go down? Yeah, I, I think, I think it would definitely help. I'm not going to say that, you know, that they have to do it, but right. I think it would help them. Um, although, although I also know from my own experience that it's not the be all end all. I mean, right. I went, sure. I went as far as I could, got my PhD and had a go of it, but it definitely was not easy sailing for me in, in the academia. Uh, as I mentioned, I did that postdoc in Wisconsin and, and got really, really kind of down on the whole, the whole racket of, uh, you know, academia and just, uh, it's just, a, it's kind of like a, it's a buyer's market, I guess is the right way to put it or something. It's, right, it's, right. It's something where they, they churn out all these PhDs and, and don't offer them jobs at the end of it all. And you, you know, it's, you got these PhDs driving, driving taxis or whatever. Right. Uh, so and that's I, after I, paying for, you know, 12 years of education and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'll often make sure that my kids know that each of, each of our situations, my wife and my situations are so, uh, unusual. There's, there's, uh, I feel, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to do both, both of the things that I've done. Uh, you know, both, neither one of those is, is a, was it all by any stretch, uh, a sure thing. You, you, you work with whatever fortunes you have to mm-hmm. make it, to make it happen. Um, but they, they're very aware that, you know, that they can, they can go off to school and get these advanced degrees and still be struggling. And that's right. the, this is the fact of life now. Yeah. yeah, that's just yeah maybe the you should tell them, you know, guys, I encourage you to get a doctorate if you're into it, but you know, you really have to love it. And if you don't, yeah. I think maybe yeah. you should go uh, be a punk rock musician. Yeah. And if yeah. you take music full time, wait till your fifties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Milo, listen, we have another segment here, um, sort of a game that we call mystery friends. Mystery friends. And okay. what this is, is I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, scenario that hopefully you'll remember that uh, there wasn't a lot of people there or there may have been a lot of people there but it's not like probably not a story that everybody knows and then um, you could give us the story and then see if you can guess who uh, who told us. To us So who spilled the beans do you remember the first time that you met Joey Ramone I, yeah pretty sure because uh, I I was in we were in New York playing at um I'm going to remember this. I'm not going to remember the name of the club, but uh, Coney Island High, it might have been. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was sick as a dog. This was this is one of our three month tours where we all caught the scourge. Yeah. And uh, I was I was at the hotel room trying to convalesce. And then I was going to show up at the show, uh, uh, you know, at the last minute just to, to jump on stage. And. And I get there to the show, and there's Joey Ramone backstage. I was like, "Shit, man! I could have been hanging out with Joey Ramone this whole time." <laughs> of all so days, was, yeah. And so I was like, sick as a dog. Couldn't really. It wasn't really like in the frame of mind to to, to bro down with with Joey. And I got there kind of late as well, so it's kind of a missed opportunity. Um, but that's yeah, I, that was the, the one time I met him. So, do you have any? I, you probably don't remember who might have told us this. 
Do you have any idea who might have clued me into this story? Do you remember uh, who introduced you to Joey? No. No. So, um, Max Tuber from the from the Swing and Utters. Oh, okay. You remember Max? Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah. Max told me this story, and what you're telling me that you weren't feeling well kind of explains it because he said that it was he said he said it was one of the I guess Joey had actually asked to be introduced to you as well. Oh wow! And oh, wow. he he described <laughs> it as like these two punk rock legends, like kind of like at either end of the room. And it was like at a, you know, like at a, at a high school dance where they're both kind okay. of too shy to introduce themselves to the other one. So they're like, can you, can you introduce me to, 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 to Milo? <laughs> oh man, you're blowing my mind here. You're blowing my oh, mind. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, fuck, I had no idea. Uh, you know, he's, he's what Joey's is such a sweet person. I really wish I would have, you know, like I said, if I'd been, if I hadn't been sick and I'd gotten there earlier, we could have broke down and, and we just, it never happened. It's really kind of tragic and yet to also hear i'm I'm just touched that he that he wanted to meet me too oh, yeah. i mean it's just really cool yeah that's pretty awesome that's like yeah. a legendary thing you can always say yeah he's such he was such a great human being yeah. what was it what was he like in person just just mellow good conversation good listener or? well i mean very quiet right and i think the thing is is again missed opportunity he was quiet i was sick and that i think it was a pretty i'm i'm saying pretty short conversation but, you know, I think we got it across to each other that there was this, you know, uh, mutual respect going on. In my case, more like mutual fandom. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's I, I honestly don't remember what got said, but just that the, we were, you know, just paying, paying our respects. And I it feel was, uh, yeah. great. That's awesome. I feel like the realer the artists are, like the more awkward the conversation probably is anyway. Um, yeah. It's like the first that. time I met Bill, I was like, oh my God, this is my drum, one of my drum heroes, been biting yeah. his shit for half of my life, blah, blah, blah. I can't wait yeah. to meet Bill Stevenson. And we met, and I'm like, oh, this guy's weird, just like me. We're weird. <laughs> and uh, and this is going to be a weird conversation, and I kind of love him more for it. Like if he was yeah. some politician you know who was like greasing me up and stuff i'd be a little more suspect i was like yo this guy's legit like i think this is cool yeah well it's funny because my my uh you know hero has always been john doe pretty much okay uh and and i've i've now met him probably three separate times three or four separate times okay and each time i meet him i go this is going to be the time where I like just, just pour my soul out to him, you know? (laughs) And, and I just, I can't do, I just, I can't do it because I, I, because I respect him too much to kind of, to kind of put him in that position to be, to be like, I'm dude, you just sit there right now and I'm going to punish you. Just sit down (laughs) and I'm, you know, that's just like, no one wants that, you know? Right. And, and so, uh, but the very last time, uh, I did do it. I, I, uh, I did attempt to, I, I kind of told him like, be forewarned, I'm going to, I'm going to punish you because <laughs> I had to tell, I had to tell him about the song I wrote on, uh, on hypercaffium, uh, 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 which is called full circle. Right. And I, and I said, okay, I'm going to quote you some lyrics and you're just going to have to take it, you know? <laughs> and I, and I quoted him the first part of the song. He's like, yep. Okay. Thanks. You know? <laughs> I mean, what else could he say? Right, Some guy right. comes up to us like, you're like, you basically inspired my entire life, yeah. you know? So, Dude, you know. listen to my poem. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I've always felt very connected to your lyrics in a lot of way where, you know, you know, for, for 
you know, a lot of music and lyrics specifically don't always connect with me. Like I'm, I'm going to listen to the drums. I'm going to listen to the melody first. And unless the lyrics are really standing out to me or they're really terrible, I usually don't notice them that much. And Descendants is one of the bands where like song after song, uh, or excuse me, you're one of the writers where like song after song, I'm just like feeling something I connect with very in a very real way. Uh, and, and I heard a story. So I, I want to tell you a story that connects us together. Okay. Mm. So when I was first dating my now wife, uh, she was my girlfriend, not that long. I was full-time touring and I had, uh, had her out to London to spend a few days with me when I was doing some shows there and we're having a day out on the town. I don't remember what I had, probably too much coffee and some sort of fried food in England. And we run all the way down to a subway station. It was one of the ones that's about, you know, 300 steps down, takes forever. We're waiting for a train and my stomach hit. And I was like, you know, it's one of those situations. I'm like, I'm either shit in my pants or I'm walking up these 300 steps and finding somewhere to go with. But here's this beautiful young woman who just flew out to London to hang out with me and be my girlfriend. This is a bad situation. But I had to come clean and I just was like, yo, this is what's happening. I'm sorry. But I have to go find somewhere to shit or else it's going to be bad, you know? And we walked up and I did it and I got out and there was like very little fanfare about it. And it kind of gave me this indication. I'm like, you know what? This might work because like, because, you know, this is going to happen again. uh, And this is, you know, what happens in life. And I kind of like the fact that there was really no uh, reticence about what happened. I heard a story you said that early in the courtship with your wife, a bridge that you crossed was when you ripped a huge fart in front of her and she didn't tear your head off. And you thought the same thing. Okay, I can live with this person and she's the girl for me. Yeah, yeah, that that it definitely was like a, um, it was definitely like a, uh, a, a, uh, a moment of, of realization that, right, this could work. This, this could, this, this is going to work. Uh, uh, and I think, uh, it's, it continues to this day that, that she <laughs> tolerates, she tolerates my, my gas, which is only, which has only gotten worse. It's only gotten worse yeah. as I got older. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm same. But I mean, she, you know, she, her name for me right now is Old Dog. Uh, I'm called, uh, I'm known as Old Dog because it's, it's that bad. Uh, and, and I can say that maybe her tolerance is somewhat less now. It, it, right. I think, she, you know, I, I get a little more flame. I get a little more flame from her. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think she needs to recognize, I mean, part of being old dog is the fact that you wouldn't have control over it anymore. Right. Right. You know? No, I, I think she, she's, <laughs> I think she's convinced I, I can have control and I, but I just refuse to have control, which is right. You know, I, 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 I you know, guilty as charged. I, I, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty bad about all that. I actually wrote a song about it. It was like, uh, it's a song about, uh, the intersection of farting and romance together. <laughs> um, and which is it's so big. It's, you know, it's, so does it's it have a, a title yet? It's called "Light a Candle." Maybe parentheses scented. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but you know, it's when you have when you get intimate with someone. Sometimes someone lights a candle to get intimate. Sure. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. going to go in the bat the bath the bedroom. 
and you're going to get intimate. I'm a Teddy Pendergrass fan, man. Turn off yeah. the lights and light a candle. That's, light a candle. Yeah. But sometimes I also hear, God damn it, light a candle, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, that, <laughs> it's, it's, a country, it's a country song, by the way. Old nice. dog. Old dog. So is there any sort of talk within the, the group and the band on a like a timeline and, and what you guys are planning on doing for next record and, and how long you're just planning on keeping the, the full-time descendants thing going. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the, that timeline of course is affected by COVID, but at the same right, time sure. we, we can all, we can record during this whole period. We obviously have no shows, but we have, we yeah. can record them. We have recorded about, uh, we tracked about, I'm going to say 30 songs. Oh, cool. Uh, but mostly, uh, or almost entirely, those are Stefan's and mine's uh, songs. Okay. Uh, Stefan's just been incredibly prolific in terms of writing. Just cranking them out. Yeah. He, he wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to write a song today. Or, you know, like I'm, I don't know if he averages a song a day, but it's just something crazy like that. Wow. So he has just so many songs that, that, that he never writes words for. So I've been writing words for his songs. And then I've got my own songs that, that I've worked up by myself. So what we're doing is waiting for Bill to write some songs and Carl to write songs. Cause we really can't put a record out unless, you know, all four members are. Sure. Are, are contributing. So we're in a bit of a, it's, you know, we did, we did the recordings and we're in a bit of a limbo because we're just kind of waiting for uh, Bill and Carl to, to put some stuff together. And it's, it's one of those things. Bill doesn't, Bill's not very prolific, but when he does write a song, it's, it's going to be the best song in the record. So <laughs> we, we kind of have to just wait. You're waiting for, <laughs> for Bill's, time. Bill's golden nugget. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So I, I don't know how else to phrase this question because I, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to soften it up. Did you invent pop punk? <laughs> no, I feel like pop punk existed before us because I, I think of bands like the Buzzcocks, you know, and, and, uh, the Dickies and bands like that, that, uh, I felt like you know, maybe a band like the Buzzcocks is, is not really easily placed in categories, but then you just have to argue categories are useless anyway. Yes. Because right. I would, you know, I'd either put them as power pop or I'd put them as pop punk, but you can't, you, there's something in that kind of realm of things. And they were a huge influence on us. Hmm. I loved, I loved the Buzzcocks back then. Um, so I feel like what we did maybe was gave it a more hardcore, uh, flavor, but, but, uh, you know, I've, I've often, I've often kind of tried to push back on, you know, the, the, that moniker of inventing pop punk. It just, it just seems like it seems a little too cut and dried, a little too black and white when there's so many gray areas sure. of, of other bands that came before us. Of course. Um, but having said that, I love the genre. I mean, I still listen to, sure. to pop punk. You know, it's just a, just a great, it's a great merging of my love of the Beatles right. with, uh, with my love of the germs, you know, and yeah. that's, that's kind of, I'll probably go to my grave just still digging it. I mean, I think the thing you guys did, you know, opposed to those bands like Buzzcocks and Dickies was, you know, less about the music. Because you're right, the music's there, the choruses are strong, the melody's strong, like there's a true pop element to those songs. But you guys gave it that California sensibility, you know? You gave, you guys gave it the, um, the feel that became, uh, you know, a couple eras of pop punk, you know? Uh, right. 
where where you're allowed to be silly. You're allowed right. to write a song about being hungry or being at a drive-thru right. or something like that. And I, I don't know. I didn't hear anyone doing that first. So maybe yeah. maybe the the pop element is is less um, musical and more kind of you know sociocultural sort of in that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask a, a question here, if I could. <laughs> Obviously, we're always we're always trying to get funny and embarrassing stories about uh, music, but. Since you also have a that second career, I'm just wondering if you have any like wacky science stories. Oh yeah. Uh well, I, probably the wacky the wackiest science story I come up with deals with deals with the intersection between my two worlds because I uh, I applied it for my job at Dupont uh, and part of that part of applying for that job was that I had to give a, ta- a job talk, which is where you roll in and all these very serious scientists sit, sit in chairs and you give, and you talk about your research. And I gave that job talk. Uh, and after the talk, I'm, uh, I'm talking to some of the scientists and they're saying, Oh, good talk, blah, blah, blah. And and these three guys show up and say, uh, can I get your autograph? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I'm sitting there going, I, "Look, I didn't plan this. I trust me, I did not plan to have these three guys show up and ask for my autograph after my job talk." You know? It's like it's kind of it's, so that was kind of like you know that was step one of of me you know acing that job interview was was these three guys. Then then I had the 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 head of the company or actually the head of the division, I guess it would be. Who then uh, said, "Oh, who were those guys?" I said, "Oh, they're." I had to explain my my uh, my you know alter ego or whatever, <laughs> and he said, "Well," and he said, "Oh, I'd love to see you play sometime," and I said, "Well, the, I said all's playing uh, in Philadelphia," um, and I uh, they offered they, they wanted to come see me get they said you could get on stage, so next thing I know, I go to the all show in Philadelphia, and the head of the division. Showing up with his wife, and they're waiting in line to come see me play. And I go, "Oh my god, this is like part two of the job interview, right?" Is I had is this guy's going to show up? And I thought, I can't fuck this up. I got, I got to be really on my my A game in terms of what I was doing, you know. Well, I guess after, you nailed it. Well, then I got. I, I think we did, you know, we did Coolidge or something on stage or something. And after that, I said, "Okay, I hope I get the job." <laughs> and so it all worked out in the end. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's really funny. Any uh, any explosions? No, that's that different kind of science. <laughs> oh yeah, hypercafium. We had explosions for hypercafium, but that was, of course, all part of the gag. Right. The gag of hypercafium. Yeah, but yeah, no. yeah. I mean, the kind of stuff I was working on was pretty safe. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, small. Uh, it's it's all DNA. DNA. You need microscopes to do what you're doing. Yeah, and yeah. small small amounts of chemicals, some of which are toxic, but small amounts of them. Yeah, you know. right, right. So I I personally know two children named after you. Uh, oh, yeah. Have you met a lot? Is this a worldwide phenomenon? It seems like there's quite a few. Yeah, I've met. I've met. Maybe I could probably count them on two hands, but maybe not even on one hand. So it's kind of unusual. Um, it's it's. Uh, I I I guess. It's gratifying, although I always tell them like uh, that I used to get a lot of shit for my name growing up. So, <laughs> right. Uh, I, I guess it's nice that the, that you know it's no longer a name that that, that gets you that gets you uh, you know teased. Maybe now maybe now it's it's improved, but 
Well, I think, yeah, I think what you could feel good about is that, so, so when I was naming my son, you know, I considered calling him Bonham. I thought it'd be cool. And then, you know, I think about it a little bit and I'm like, ah, 27 year old guy asphyxiates on his own vomit. (laughs) Uh, Like maybe not the best precedent, you know, like, like as much as I love John Bonham's drumming, you know, they're eventually going to look this up. Right. You know, and I, you know, you so, named me after this druggy guy. Right, exactly. So I think yeah. you should feel good about the fact that parents not only think your name is cool, they must have faith in the fact that you're not a garbage human being. And, uh, you know, they don't mind naming their kids after you and they'll look into it and actually be proud. Maybe this is a sort of half hearted attempt for, for parents to get their kids into school. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> no, I, I've, 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 I've always been gratified that if, if, if people, uh, you know, see what I'm doing in these two areas and it's going to make it so that maybe that the people just don't always think of punk punks as being, you know, druggies. You don't, you don't have to be a druggie to be a punk. Right. Uh, you, you could be, you can be a student to be, and be a punk. And it maybe takes some of the, some of the, you know, dinginess out of the, out of, of that particular designation for sure it's a punk so yeah that's cool all right so this is my my last question we can let you go um so you know i'm a big fan of uh when i get old great song um and you know at the time i you know i'm listening to it with you and i'm like huh i wonder you know what's going so now we have over 20 years of time since you wrote that song till now um (laughs) do you still ride your bike around town Oh, I wish. Okay. Uh, that was that, that gets back to living in Delaware. Which yeah, is kind right. Of, You're out of bike country now. It's kind of a pit for that. I, okay. I try to ride it. Uh, I live fairly near uh, a state park, so I can, you know, I can. Will I still ride my bike in the state park after schlepping it on my vehicle? Yes, I will still do that. <laughs> okay. So part of it. Do you still sleep on the floor? Uh. Not at my own house, but uh, at someone else's house, maybe. I sure. Yeah. Do you still hate the cops? Yeah, I yeah. still do. <laughs> oh, man. What, you know, I don't think a day has gone by where you don't see some video of a cop putting his knee into someone's neck. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. And man. just like, well, in this, this last one I saw, they killed him. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm. I think the thing is, is there's got to be – there's got to be some way that that these. I think the techniques, the techniques are already there, but the cops have to learn the techniques. Yeah, and they got to follow the techniques, and they can't lose their shit. Right. And there's just too much of the like, you know, just not not uh, you know not following protocol or just yeah. I th- I think that I don't think it's. I think if they were to just do a better job of of following these techniques and they maybe wouldn't be considered such assholes because they they you see these videos and you're just like okay you're not doing yourself any favors here you guys yeah right you, you guys are you guys are assholes yeah yeah there's no question about it i mean it's almost like just giving too much power to people who are wildly untrained you know it's it's yeah. like i've seen it to become a local cop you know you got to get out of high school you basically gotta go take a course for a while you know what i mean yeah. and then you're a yeah. cop and then yeah. you carry a gun and you're essentially allowed to make something up and shoot me. So it's just like, uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's, I try to, 
you know, pick it back to the fact that these people aren't inherently bad, every single one of them. I think a lot have good intentions. Right. But you can even see, like, in your some of those videos, uh, that Philando Castile one in particular, where I'm like, that cop was scared. That yeah. cop was just a kid. He was a kid yeah. who didn't know what the fuck he was doing, who got scared and made a yeah. bad decision and took a life because of it. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's not it's not his fault he was scared, but it's his fault that he just couldn't use utilize whatever training or, you know, either he didn't get trained or he didn't utilize his training. The, the training that that tells you what you do when you're scared, because, yeah, they're going to get scared. There's no doubt about that. Of course. So they got to use their training. Yeah. All right. So last one. We took a little course. <laughs> do you still talk about the old days? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I guess I'd probably do that more now than ever, just because uh, I they they were they were they're so important to me to who I am today. Sure. I mean, I you know just like for example when we we're talking about how I got into the band and just the whole that whole phase of when I I got into L.A. punk rock and everything, it still means so much to me to to think about uh, how special that time was in terms of. You know, the, the, it may never happen that way again. Who knows? I mean, it's. I'd like to think that some other generation will come along and and have that kind of blossoming of of this particular music at that time. But I'm just fortunate that it happened to me. Yeah, sure. yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to 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 wax nostalgic about it. It's. I feel like. Uh, you know, it, perhaps there's an embarrassment to something like that because because then, then you're the old codger. <laughs> right. at, the same, at the same time, it was it was a time that uh, that meant so much to me, and, it's, and it was a time that uh, that allowed uh, like my creative side to, to kind of to kind of uh, leave its shell. Awesome. That was so important. Yeah. Well, I thank you for it, man, and and the. The work you've done has been inspiring to me for a really long time, and I don't even know if I'm doing what I do the way I do it without all of you. So I appreciate it, man. Cool, paint it forward. Try that's because I mean we 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 had we could say we say this, I think I talked about John Doe or whatever. We we have all these people that we that we also just you know revere, and I just I look back at them and and it's just I just think this is the this is why I probably finally decided I can do this as a musician because the passion never dies. Right. The passion is always there because you see it as a continuum of, of, uh, you know, of music that, 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 that kind of rides this wave of enthusiasm and then gets picked up by the next generation because they're enthusiastic about it and just keeps riding the wave. That's right. And it's like, you know, that's, that's why I keep, keep doing it. I feel like it's, it's it's something that'll never die. Respect your elders, kids. <laughs> all right, Milo. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you uh, taking all this time. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Milo. See you later. Bye. Ah, uh, Milo. Hey, mm. so thank you, what Max a- Huber, Swinging Utters, for the uh, mystery friend <laughs> story. I got to be sure. Thank Max because uh, that was a good one. That's a good story. Yeah. That was good, especially getting a Ramones cut. That's yeah. nice. Um, I was trying to figure out when he was telling, when he first told me that story, 
like why I was I would have been there. I, that that time period, I was hanging out at that club a lot, and I realized I I was on the road. I looked it up. Where were you? Did, where were you that day? I think that was I think that was maybe the Sam I Am tour. I was oh, cool. on, we were out with Sam I Am for like God for like over three months. Oh wow! Yeah, I think that was like ninety five or six. I have to look it up. And that was kind of at like the that was almost at like the height of their powers too, right? Oh, yeah. It was pretty big it was in those clumsy. days. It was a clumsy record. It was so much fun. That was a fun, fun tour, dude. That was my Sam I Am breakthrough album was clumsy, for sure. Oh, I've, so I've covered I've covered Capsized like yeah. everyone else and their mother has. <laughs> so yeah. good, dude. So <laughs> good. To. But that was so awesome that Milo did that. I tried not to fanboy too much in that interview, but Descendants are a really important band to me. Like, to the point that I might not be like a punk rocker without him you know i remember the first time i ever heard him and it was, it was sort of strange like my entrance into like punk and hardcore was through my first band like i was like kind of still like a grunge rock kid right up until i joined that band and then i joined and the singer john and the guitar player torsten were pretty like heavy into the hardcore scene already at that time they were a couple years older than me so they booked a show at our guitar player Joe's house in his basement and managed to get this band Strength 691 to come, who was like one of the bigger, more well-known hardcore bands in Jersey, who were, we, I could do another podcast on Strength 691 <laughs> and their importance to my life. But, uh, and I remember they played that show and they covered Cambridge and I was like, oh, man, who's this? And I was soaking up anything I could at the time. And I went to one of those record shows with my mom. And the only Descendants disc I could find was uh, Hall Raker Live. Um, <laughs> so that was my intro to Descendants. Like, nice. I had no other Descendants record uh, for a couple years. And basically, all my favorite Descendants songs are the ones that they played on Hall Raker. And then in like 90, you know, five or six, you know, I kind of missed the whole all era. Right. Um, I was a little too young. And then in 95, 96, I was actually like a proper punk rock kid and everything sucks came out. Right. And that was like Huge. my descendants record, yeah. you know, like, like this one's for me because yeah. I'm here now, you know, and I immediately fell in love with it. Uh, I went down to their show at the Stone Pony uh, in Asbury to oh, see nice. them. And and that's where I reconnected with a guy named Paul that I sort of knew from that band, Strength 691, in that scene. And he asked if I still played drums, and he had a band called Yell Boy at the time. And, you know, because of that show and meeting him again, I started playing in that band, which subsequently turned into, like, the Low End Theory, who was, like, my first real band that got signed and toured and, right. like, did the whole thing. And connected me with these kids from, uh, like, the Woodbridge, Perth Amboy area of New Jersey, which is, you know, were my best friends for years. And uh, so, I mean, literally, like, before I was even 16, the Descendants shaped my my path in so many different ways, you know? Yeah, that's sweet, dude. So, I, this was another one, just like that Liz Goldwyn one, like... I was nervous. That, that's why I was like asking the scientific questions at first. I was like, listen, I want him to know that I did a little homework here and I respect his craft as a scientist. So, oh, yeah, big shout out too to my buddy, Nate Morris, 
who uh, provided me with the insight on molecular biology. Yeah, Yeah, he luckily called me on his way to work at like 7.30 in the morning before that interview and gave me a brief rundown of what the fuck he was talking about. (laughs) Molecular biology for dummies. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, even when I was texting Nate, he's like, who's this for? I'm like, imagine it's for a (laughs) nine-year-old. And then give me that. Like, that's basically what I told him, yeah. Um, So yeah, man, that was awesome. So glad Milo did it. And uh, hey, the Patreon yeah. is up. <laughs> yeah, give us money. Oh, <laughs> well, geez. I feel guilty because people have been giving us money, Venmo and Off Track. Yeah, been a lot and of that very, gives them nothing. So at least now we can maybe give you a little bit back. So the Patreon account is up. Go to patreon.com. Going off track. If you want to, uh, if you want to be, a, if you want to be our patron, and um, we'll have a little bit of bonus content, including. I I just realized I've got some bonus com content from this podcast that I'm going to put up uh, for patrons on the Patreon account. Uh-oh. So um, I was just sweaty and hot and crazy during that intro. I hope it's not that. <laughs> no, no, it's the outro where we where not only do we continue to talk a little bit about Joey Ramone, but Green Day and Jesse Mallon. Oh, right. And, yeah, 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 that so. was cool stuff. So yeah, but anyway, thanks to anybody who does that. Truly appreciate it. And it will give us the ability to do this silly show well and for a long time. I yeah, hope. and you know, what's free is giving us a good review on iTunes. Um, and also, like, uh, you know, subscribe. If you subscribe to the podcast, it just gives us good, it makes us look good. It'll just <laughs> help ensure that we're Wait, around longer. To whom? <laughs> to whom, Brad? Who are we and, pandering uh, to here? The and, big uh, men? You know, um, are we like trying to get on Spotify? Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> also, the Descendants are on Instagram and Twitter, and they actually were able to claim the Descendants since they used an E instead of an A. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's at Descendants for both of those. So check them out. Go listen to all their music if you have not. Yeah, what would, you, what would you recommend, like, I, an 18-year-old to start on? Because well, the I, new records are pretty good, man. I, you know what, I haven't They're listened. Strong. I don't think I've really listened. I mean, I've heard some of the newer stuff, but I haven't really listened to anything since, since um, Everything Sucks, which is a phenomenal record, which I think is, I, I mean, obviously I was exposed to them earlier, but uh, Everything Sucks is, I, I, that, that's probably, I would, I would say that record. It's so good. I mean. It's, well, my buddy Colin, who's a listener of this show and significantly younger than both of us. I asked him to give me like his top seven descendants records right. or whatever it was. And he had a couple of the older ones way towards the end. And a couple of the, I mean, we even say newer, they're not that new. Like right. some of their post everything sucks records are, you know, close to 10 right. years old. Right. Uh, and he is a huge fan of those records. And I honestly, besides for the last one, the hypercafium spasinate, I, I honestly didn't look at those records too much until Colin mentioned it. And I'm getting into it. I'm, you know, I haven't dug as hard in as I'm going to yet. But honestly, those they got teeth and songs, and I'm like, oh wow, like these are really good. Yeah. And and the descendants oh, are sure, just dude. They're, continuing you know, to write like kind of perfect pop punk songs. Man, they just never stop. Yeah. It's great. No. We need good. them. The world needs the descendants so bad. That's <laughs> mm. always what we've needed. Yeah, I agree. Clean sheets are dirty for a guy who sleeps on the floor. You know. <laughs> I've heard that line so many times and just been like, 
Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. I almost forgot to mention the new Mystery Friend theme. Did you notice? Yeah. That's from Mark Stromberg, a Swedish going off track fan. Um, dropped it in there. Uh, the original theme, which we've been using for a couple of years from Evan Moore and Linda Everswick is awesome. And it will not be forgotten. We will continue to use both. But uh, Mark's is pretty cool. Thanks again. Benny, stay safe. Watch out for those tornadoes. <laughs> I will. Take All it easy, you. Brad. Thank Hope you out tests. there. Keep your heads down and, um, you know, support the cause, okay? Whatever that may be. We love you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.